Hey everybody, welcome to the Greatest Movie Never Made podcast, a sister podcast of the Good, the Bad, and the Nerdy Movie podcast. I'm your host, Tom. Today we're talking about a special one about, I've kind of been holding off for a long time, but it definitely belongs to the Greatest Movie Never Made discussion. With his new film coming out very soon, The Whale, Darren Aronofsky's actually been giving a lot of interviews lately, and this topic has come up, and partially because the Batman, which came out this year, was definitely probably borrowing from his plan for what was going to be called Batman Year One. So uh, if you're a comic book fan, you should know that you, you should at least be fairly familiar with Frank Miller's Batman Year One. It was a uh, miniseries that uh, Frank Miller and Dave Mazzucchelli, who had worked together on uh, a couple of projects, specifically the, the epic and uh, highly claimed Daredevil Born Again, worked on together in which uh, it told a 12-issue uh, origin of Batman after the uh, I guess you call the post crisis era. So after the crisis infinite, they were doing basically reboots of all their characters, and this was the origin of Batman. Although if uh, you've ever read it, it's way more about the origin of Jim Gordon and uh, about most of Gotham than as as much about Batman. So, and Batman's primarily told from Gordon's perspective. With uh, you know, in and outs of uh, Bruce Wayne as he's just returned from going off on his uh, uh, years of years of training and his uh, first attempts at becoming Batman. So the yeah, it's got some really iconic stuff. And you know, DC uh, a few years ago did a adaptation of it into an animated film. So if you want to watch that, it's it's a pretty close adaptation and some good casting. Uh, specifically, uh, Brian Cranston is the voice of Gordon in that one. So and and that so what essentially happened was uh and we'll kind of start where this begins. So we got to start going back as we talked about on several episodes of the greatest movie never made, uh the Tim Burton era of the Batman films. As you know, uh when we did the episode on Batman Continues, which would have been the third Burton film, there was a lot of plans they had in the works that never happened. You know, it's around the time we would have had Marlon Wayans as Robin, and some pretty interesting twists, such as how things were going to be set up. But those didn't happen, so uh, and uh, that movie never got made. And Joe Schumacher then took over and made Batman uh, Forever, which you know has its positive negatives. If you've ever seen the um, the darker cut, it's a lot better, a little bit much better version for Two Face. You know, they literally it became the Jim Carrey film. Although I will to this day say that Val Kilmer may have been the perfect choice to play Batman. Unfortunately, he only got the one try. He wisely dropped out and did not want to do Batman and Robin, which then George Clooney took on. And after Arnold Schwarzenegger joined him, became one of the campiest and most notorious films ever made. That, if you're a big fan of the uh, Good, Bad, Nerdy movie podcast, that was our second episode ever done, which I break down quite a few problems with Batman and Robin. And to this day, I know there are some people out there who are who still think Batman and Robin is a good movie. You know, treats their own. Yeah, I've I've got I love a lot of bad movies, but I do not like that one. So after Batman and Robin had uh, come out, did not become a hit. You know, the film made a little bit of money, but it was basically considered a financial failure overall compared to the, all the other Batman films. It was. Uh, and uh, it, on top of this, they then put the kibosh on what was going to be the Tim Burton Superman Lives film. They decided it was time to uh, come up with something else. So 
about the time of 1999-2000, they began developing, uh, you know, a basically we're going to do a fresh restart. The, their first attempt at doing a major reboot. You know, since they'd already recast Batman twice, they knew this would be a big deal. And specifically, they were going to do like a more grounded take. So the first person they contact, they contact a few people, but the person who uh, immediately got it, some real movement was Darren Aronofsky. Aronofsky at this point had kind of come on the scene after making his a very, very, very acclaimed, uh, very independent science fiction horror film, Pi, followed then, then by what came out in 2000 with Requiem for a Dream, one of the most bleakest and maddening films you ever watched. If you've ever seen either of these films, they, pretty, they will break you mentally quite a few times. Uh, both films are, are very acclaimed, very well written, very well liked. Uh, around this time, he was developing The Fountain, which unfortunately, uh, you know, the version he attempted to make never happened. But he did eventually make a version with, which was released with Hugh Jackman. Supposed to, unfortunately, not with uh, Brad Pitt, and as he originally planned with a much bigger budget. But that's another episode. So Aronofsky, uh, while he's developing The Fountain, is also talking with Warner Brothers about making this film and it's an interesting film if there ever was one because to uh make uh batman year one it's a pretty complicated film more importantly it's a very dark film and he uh decided the best way to do this was to hire and develop the screenplay directly by himself and frank miller so he brought frank miller now around this time miller was really reluctant to let anybody touch any of his stuff this would be before uh, Sin City came out, in which uh, or when uh, before Robert Rodriguez uh, convinced him to help him make Sin City, which wisely cha- famously got Miller out of his uh, Hollywood sucks vibe, which he'd been through. You know, if you ever heard it, know anything, he had a pretty bad experience working on RoboCop two and three. He wrote the scripts, which were badly rewritten afterwards. So Miller. Uh, yeah, you know, even though he, you know, partially he knows that he, one he won't have any say in the matter anyway. You know, DC owns that. His relationship with DC and Warner Brothers is not in the best terms around this time. So this is before. My understanding they were developing script before nine eleven. Uh, after nine eleven, he really had a uh, cultural, a uh, emotional breakdown and a cultural like shift. Uh, so quite a few of his uh, works got a lot more bleaker and darker, but. Around this time, so we're talking, I think early 2001 is specifically when a lot of the traction was going on with this. This is around the same time. They were trying desperately to get quite a few projects off the ground, including a Superman project that was being developed by J.J. Abrams and McGee and a few others. But anyway, as, uh, as we discuss, yeah, it's a pretty dark film, uh, dark comic and to do the thing was going to require quite a few specific changes, partially because it's, it's a pretty complex, detailed story. So adapted into one movie, something required a lot of specific changes. But Aronofsky actually had some interesting ideas that he decided he would do. And Miller apparently loved these ideas that would work, uh, one, to kind of streamline the film a little bit down, but also to uh, make a very specific change to some of Batman's origins. First of all, uh, one of the biggest, I, of course, one of the great things about Batman is you know he's the man, he's the superhero without superpowers. His power is, is jokingly said by in by uh, Ben Affleck's version, you know he's rich. Well, in this particular take of Batman Year One, 
Bruce would not be rich. He would be penniless. His parents would be dead, and for some reason, all of his money would be gone. There would be no Alfred uh, officially. He would be a runaway kid, uh, escaped from orphanage, trying to get his revenge, and taken in at a mechanic shop by a guy named Lil Al. Now, that would be kind of a variation of Alfred, but this one would be an African-American mechanic who's really good at like building stuff. This guy would be sort of his... Uh, would be a variation of his Alfred, but not Alfred specifically. You know, he would help him build stuff like uh, help him design the Batmobile and, and so forth in the uh, course of the film. And also, this would be a much longer film. So uh, we would get like a montage. You know, we would still get the classic bit where uh, the Waynes get murdered. You know, Bruce sees little uh, his parents get killed. Now, a couple things they were very clear about was. Uh, the source of the murder would be very more different. So the Waynes would actually have a, fu- a lot of money, but it would suddenly be uh, lost in some kind of complicated uh, and bizarre reveal. And since he was a kid, he didn't understand his family's finances. They were in some sort of probate mess. Reality was uh, Thomas Wayne uh, was a prominent doctor in the uh, as they were going to have in the script and was work was planning to maybe uh, run for mayor and one of his uh, is uh, discussed plans to be to uh, clean up the police department and the main villain of this movie would actually be Commissioner Loeb. Now Loeb is a pretty major figure in the original uh, comic book series and Loeb is essentially like the source of a lot of the problems Gotham has. He's so corrupt. He's basically got everybody. Uh, he's taking. He kind of is secretly like the kingpin of all the mob. So in this particular uh, variation, though, it's like he's the main villain. Loeb has essentially um, got all the mob uh, groups working directly for him you know, as part of like a uh, I won't – you know, you guys can do whatever you want. I will – you know, I control everything. You know, this is kind of a take that if you've seen Batman Begins, Falcone is. Now, Falcone is, you know, a significant character in this one and in – I mean in the – but not in this movie. But essentially, that's what he is. Falcone is the uh, one who's the pro, you know, you know, kind of controlling most of the underworld. In this particular case, though, it's it's Loeb. Loeb also has, uh, and in part because he uh, as was trying to make sure no uh, nothing about the Waynes could uh, their legacy could make sure he uh, used some various illegal ways to hide and you know uh, tie up uh, Bruce's money inheritance and you know everything so at this point bruce doesn't even realize he's of a wealthy family his uh, parents are you know different variations i think one script had they were running they lived on a family farm and came into gotham for a family night out another version is that they were you know he was a uh, working doctor they lived in a small apartment kind of deal so the very it depended on the different strip but the idea is bruce actually has a secret trust fund that he cannot get access to he also doesn't know exists it's not until late in the film does he find that he has a huge trust fund, and which leads to him uh, being able to, uh, at the f- end of the film, uh, get this trust fund, you know, access his money, and begin his real fight as Batman. Now, uh, there are some neat ideas, too, that they had in this project. For instance, the reason he becomes Batman is not because, uh, like, in the comics, a-, a bat scares him as he's trying to determine what his uh, – icon be like the idea is this bat busts through the windows he's trying to figure out what he should his uh image should be to strike fear into gotham you know various very always versions had that he was afraid of bats 
But in this one, in uh, Aronofsky's take, and I think Miller, like, this is definitely an idea Miller had that had been rejected in the past, so he was like, we're going to do it this way, is that Thomas Wayne had a signet ring. And the only thing that Bruce got was the signet ring. And the fa- eventually, the signet ring would be also a key to how he got his money back. But the signet ring had a TW on it, Thomas Wayne. And that uh, when he, uh, so he wore it, and when he fought a uh, specific uh, crook, thug, and in this particular case, trying to protect uh, Selena Kyle, he left a mark on the guy's face that looked like a bat. It's like the, the T and the W, when you punch the guy in the face, the scar was basically like a bat logo. So that's where he got, in that particular is where he gets the idea of the bat. Now, uh, a few other things that I think we should address, which some of them actually wound up, I think, getting used in the Batman specifically. One is that Selena Kyle is, uh, you know, is not a white character. Uh, now, in the comics, she had been kind of involved in prostitution, implied she was, you know, um, pansexual, kind of uh, more of a uh, troubled youth. In this one, she's still kind of involved in the sex trade initially, and that Bruce actually saves her from a, a sadistic uh, mob, a mob pimp. But in the process, she actually, you know, like, she causes the guy to die. Bruce doesn't kill the guy; he beats him up, but she causes him to die. She actually she knocks Bruce out and basically frames him briefly for uh, the murder. Later on, when a Bruce, you know. Uh, later on, she she reforms and becomes Catwoman in part to help him. So she's essentially the Robin in this story. Now, um, you know, of course, if you've seen the Batman, you know, uh, in that particular one, uh, Selena is played by Zoe Kravitz, and you know, she's you know of, of African American heritage. So it's yeah, I think this is kind of they got the idea from this particular cake. Now, before we, we'll talk about Cassie in a minute, who will all they ranch in for different parts for this kind of got K.K. boshed. Another uh, detail is Gordon's in the film, but not near as prominent. But in this particular case, he is basically on the verge of suicide. He is broken, broken bad. He's the only honest cop left in Gotham. The whole department's about as corrupt as possible. He is, you know, uh, he's uh, basically been kind of stuck in various. Uh, you know, positions where he never gets to do anything of, of significance. And he desired to try to clean up the force has been completely, uh, you know, failure. After the murders of the Waynes, which he was one of the officers investigating, which, by the way, if you've ever seen the TV series Gotham, you know, that was, you know, one of the, the main plot lines was that uh, Detective Gordon was trying to solve the uh, Waynes murder. But in this particular case, uh, eventually... He's trying to leave Gotham with his wife as she's pregnant with uh, Barbara and decides he uh, wants to do something else with his life. But when he find, uh, Barbara says, I don't want to leave, you know, there's this, the, the, they start to discuss this, you know, she hates, you know, the idea of them leaving. She does, doesn't want to go anywhere else kind of situation. He's so depressed. He's worried about how he's going to raise a daughter in the city. At one point, he he's seen literally putting a gun in his mouth and considering suicide before. Batman essentially shows up not to save him but to get information from him. So, which uh, part of the inve- this eventually goes down the investigation of him trying to find out what all Loeb is secretly involved in. Yeah, as it becomes obvious, Loeb is the uh, main uh, force behind all the corruption in Gotham. It, it, he eventually, uh, after you know, got long story short, uh, Gordon is able to. Uh, 
on the opposite side uh, helps uh, bring Loeb down and is essentially becomes commissioner toward the end of the film. And his part of his job is to uh, get rid of – clean up the corruption in Gotham City, which is what he wanted all along. And by becoming commissioner, he gets a whole other basically uh, situation and, and can greatly revive the idea of making Gotham better. Now, uh, well, before we get uh, – so as we find out, this, you know, this film has a lot of like – some graphic violence as they were going to depict based on a lot of storyboards that uh, Aronofsky and Miller developed. And there's you know, the screenplay has been floating around online, at least one draft of it. And there's quite a few uh, ideas that both of them had, which is one of the ideas that um, you know the car, which if you've ever seen the Batman, you'll see the car looks very similar. Uh, it would essentially be like a, a, car, a car that was modified. I think in this particular kit, in the original script, it was going to be like a um, beat-up uh, you know, uh, Continental with a... Uh, a bus engine, like uh, off of a, like a wreck bus, that a uh, little Al and him, uh, you know, modify. So they take the engine of a bus, which is pretty powerful. They uh, attach it into this like a modified car, and it kind of you know, it's basically it's like the ultimate pimped out car. It's got uh, some stuff in there, but it's not really like. The Batmobile you're used to, say, like say from the Burton films, or even later from say the Nolan films, it's very handmade. Which I, I like that idea also that it's not the perfect, it's not this perfect car. You know, Al's a pretty good mechanic, but it's not that you know it's kind of situation where he had all his money to secretly hire these people to build this stuff. So, you know, as we said, the film will end with Lowe being, you know, captured, removed from power. And, uh, you know, at this point, though, with Lowe gone, it does kind of start this domino effect, which, you know, the uh, Batman Begins kind of implies also is that once things are being changed, things there's going to be some blowback, which is part of the deal is, you know, the mob immediately starts doing something. This should be pointed out, uh, some of the uh, supporting characters you do see in the background is that um, uh, Harvey Dent is already a um, prosecutor. In fact, uh, Gordon, you know, had been a big supporter of Harvey Dent, but Dent is kind of in a similar case where he is not getting anything done. And for a while, uh, Dent is rumored to is suspected to be the vigilante doing all this. But you know, Batman does a really good job of making sure it's not uh, Dent. In fact, rescues Dent at one point from being attacked by some uh, crooked cops. You know, they, uh, but they also make the reference that he's, you know, they can, the police consider him a two faced liar for uh, certain things he did uh, to try to get their support when he was running for office. So the seeds of him becoming two faced are being planted. Uh, it's, you know, there are definitely some in, inclination that the Joker is uh, not there yet, but is going to happen. And uh, there's a few other. There's a character that yeah, they don't call Oswald Cobblepot, but yeah, he definitely fits. You know, th there's a restaurant that would be essentially the variation of Oswald's uh, restaurant that's later used in various uh, depictions where he's sort of like the uh, secret you know, criminal you know, hangout place. So it's got a lot of like uh, seeds planted that would be the, you know, the ideas for future films. Now, there are basically four reasons this film didn't happen. One, uh, it was just getting too dark. Most uh, depictions, because of various things, like for instance, uh, Batman and Catwoman do have a pretty graphic sex scene, at least in one variation of it, with their masks on. 
there uh you know, when uh Selena kills her pimp she's been beaten pretty badly and you know it's very kind of in a same tribute to say true romance kind of a violent beating and so when she strikes back she yeah, and uh helps it causes the guy to die after Bruce has saved her from this uh severe beating it's you know there it's pretty bloody it's pretty graphic you know and you know, there's quite a few graphic murders in the film, and you know, none Batman commit because in this they do really job that Batman doesn't kill. <clears throat> he does, but he does beat a lot of people badly. But the police kill quite a few. The corrupt police, who are basically the goons for Loeb, do a lot of the violence. So uh, some of, there was a lot of discussion: Would an R-rated Batman make money? Now, at this point, we're at this period of time where people would probably be okay with an R-rated Batman film as an R-rated. Wolverine film, Logan, was a huge success, as just as R-rated Deadpool movies had been a success. Now, another reason this film didn't happen was that by the time that they're getting into this, the Marvel movies are really starting to go, uh, starting to really hit. So, as they're developing this, you know, Blade's already come out, the X-Men film has come out, Spider-Man is about to come out as this is being developed, and on top of that, uh, you know, Blade Two is already about to come out. It's like the idea is where are the uh, there's quite a few other types of superhero films in development. So Batman's not the only you know game in town again. So there is some discussion. You know, is this uh, is a dark gritty R-rated Batman what people want? When you don't have to do that dark and gritty, you can do it a little more stylistic. And yeah, you know, I would say the X-Men first film being a hit kind of trigger the idea is, okay, we can make a PG-13 superhero film with some violence, but it doesn't have to be graphic violence, and can have some cursing, but not extreme cursing. You know, so the idea is, like, you can do everything that you did successfully without having to go over the camp style that happened with the uh, uh, Schumacher Batman films. And it's also, you can make it a little more, you know, lower budget. This film also had the problem where, as they were developing, the budget was going to get a little more complex as the... Uh, the design for the city of Gotham was going to be way more like intense. He wanted to shoot a lot of it on location in some pretty uh, sketchy parts of New York City specifically. He wanted to shoot more in New York City than he did. Yeah. Now, if you, Nolan, of course, famously shot most of his in Pittsburgh and in Chicago using you know their cityscapes rather than New York. But uh, Aronofsky's a New York filmmaker. He wanted to film a lot of it in the, like the you know some rough neighborhoods. But unfortunately, uh, some of the areas that him and Miller wanted to use got gentrified <laughs> so the finding locations for the next option were not uh, available although he said many times if he'd waited a few years he would have had a very good success shooting in detroit because there was plenty of options for detroit he would have used later on detroit was already becoming a pretty rough place but the idea of filming in detroit was not an option but now they i think they would have taken advantage of it you know nowadays a lot of films are shot in different uh, tax deals so but uh, yeah, ironically, uh, because uh, Julian even and uh, you know we should also discuss he went to film in areas you know not just because they got gentrified but because of nine eleven all the destruction and you know uh, caused a lot of urban renewal in parts of New York City so it was you know not something that they could just easily develop so that was another reason that that got shot down was the idea it was like some you know, destruction in a major city there were some pretty violent you know. Uh, uh, moments that happen in the film, a lot of buildings being blown up and so forth like that. Yeah. So those ideas also got got shot down. There was another idea which kind which another problem that happened was 
At the same time this is being developed, a uh, screenplay came out that Andrew Kevin Walker written called Batman vs. Superman. Not the one that got made, but he'd written a, a, a kind of on spec, a screenplay adaptation of an old uh, first-time Batman and Superman team-up kind of scenario. And it quickly got a lot of attention at, at Warner because they were like, wait, we can make a movie with Batman and Superman? Huh. They were also trying, like I said, trying to develop a Superman film. So the idea of maybe maybe we should go ahead and just skip the origin, go straight to this, was the, another idea. So that led to it also being down. Now, uh, another problem was the casting. Aronofsky had a, quite a few ideas of who he wanted to play. So much, you know, he'd written the races down and so forth like that. And these, this was an issue with some of the people at Warner Brothers because they really didn't like the idea of him recasting some characters differently. In other cases, they also were all kind of on the fence about who to get. Now, <clears throat> pretty much everybody agrees that the main uh, person in uh, being talked about who Aronofsky really wanted to play is this, you know, to play the young Bruce Wayne, not the kid version, but the young Bruce Wayne for the majority of the film was going to probably be Joaquin Phoenix. That's who he really wanted. Now, you know, by 2000, 2001, Joaquin Phoenix has become a pretty prominent star after, especially his, you know, I would call groundbreaking success in Gladiator, which you know, he got nominated for an Oscar for. He also was in quite a few, like, dark independent films. So he was at least a known pot, you know, commodity for, you know, major films. And he had signs coming out soon, which would become a big hit as well. So. Joaquin Phoenix, who, of course, ironically would then later win an Oscar for playing uh, Joker in the uh, different take of the Joker. This is a um, where you get to see some other ideas. That, and Aronofsky actually debated should he uh, sue, but he got some interesting credits because some of his ideas got used in Joker. So it's likely that he got, an, you know, he got some kind of thank yous in the credits that <clears throat> he got a little payment for it. Another issue uh, was, like I said, uh, the casting of Little Al, the, um, you know, his Alfred variation. And uh, he had a few ideas. One interesting idea, you know, obviously they were like, well, we'll get somebody Samuel Jackson. No, this guy needs to be smaller and kind of uh, snarky. He wanted uh, to get, uh, uh, interesting enough, Spike Lee to play the part. Now, uh, Spike Lee was not exactly called you know, box office success in the early 2000s. You know, he made quite a few big movies, but he, as an actor, he wasn't exactly the high quality. But that was Aronofsky's idea. He liked the idea of uh, yeah, getting someone like Spike Lee's stature to do it. And Spike Lee would be like the kind of like this, would fit the idea of this uh, older mechanic that would do, uh, that would kind of be the mentor factor. But Lee himself wasn't that interested in the part, and nor was Warner Brothers, even though they were had a decent relationship in the past making movies with him. He wasn't in the best uh, terms with some a lot of his studio heads, but the idea of it was going to be Spike Lee as like the Alfred character, very interesting idea. I think other ideas that were being discussed included Ozzy uh, Davis and a few others. You know, I've heard there was rumor they the they wanted to get Samuel Jackson. They were like, no, this guy's got to be small, not big. You know, the, they didn't want like the big, tough African American looking fright or just somebody just you know bigger stature. They wanted somebody smaller, kind of mousier. For the part of uh, Catwoman, not surprising since she was written to be African American. Halle Berry was discussed. Of course, ironically, she would get a Catwoman later. 
Uh, another uh, idea apparently was being thrown around was uh, Tandy Newton. She had been in Mission Impossible 2, so there was some talk about her being kind of rising up in the ranks. But, yeah, that was another idea where there were, there were some possibilities. I've heard at one point before the project finally fell apart, there was discussion of even, even Beyonce Knowles. But she was not, you know, uh, demonstrated that much of an actress and was not implying she was <clears throat> that comfortable with such a uh, physically graphic role. This would require her to be, you know, either in some cases nude or in at least like brief nudity kind of scenarios for some of her scenes. So, uh, you know, they were having some casting issues with both those parts. As for the part for Loeb, I've heard different takes as who would play it. Uh, at one point, apparently, there was, you know, Aronofsky jokingly said they should get Brando, but no one at Warner Brothers wanted to deal with Brando's demands and also just concerns about Brando's health. But Brando was apparently, you know, even uh, Frank Miller's, you know, idea for what Loeb should look like, at least when he developed in the early, in the mid-'80s, so... You know, the trick of being like, who do you get for that kind of part? Like, kind of this big, tough, you know, you know, muscular, but also very corrupt, you know, older gentleman who's running the police department is basically like a crime family. I've heard, you know, so obviously the Godfather in- inferences, you know, there was apparently a rumor that they were discussing it possibly with Al Pacino. Other ideas, you know, it's the early 2000s, you know, obviously Robert De Niro's getting discussed, Robert Duvall. So, you know, if you can think of, like, a Casper the Godfather, they were some of the people being all discussed for Loeb. So you've got all these, and the thing is, at this point, like, the estimated budget is going to be over $200 million, and, you know, the idea was supposed to go the other way. It was supposed to try to make it lower budget, but in order to get all these people to get this on-location shooting, to get this, you know, more graphic depiction was going to require some more detailed you know, fight choreography and a lot of stylized like you know special effects to kind of establish that got what gotham is and what it can be and they wound up essentially saying this is just not working and they moved on you know they you know like i said they briefly really pushed forward the idea of doing the uh, batman versus superman film that didn't happen the superman the project being developed by mcg and jj abrams you know wound up also getting <clears throat> put on the back burner which then led to uh, two projects finally coming out, which were The Batman Begins with uh, Christian Nolan and Superman Returns from Brian Singer, which, you know, if you've ever seen Superman Returns, you know what a mess it is. You know, it's got some really great... It has a really great, you know, first hour, and then a pretty much a chaotic last hour and a half, suffering from a lot of... Uh, and according to all reports, a uh, you know, Ryan Singer had one of his mental meltdowns during the film, so the film <clears throat> quality and tone got messed up. But uh, and uh, now, of course, Batman Begins was a very successful hit, which led to Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises and kind of a reevaluation of Batman. But yeah, so I've been talking about this for quite a while. I hope you guys got enough details on this. Uh, and trust me, there is a lot more. I didn't cover everything. I covered some of the big specific points about this, but... Uh, I'm kind of curious if you would have been interested in seeing this Batman Year One take from Darren Aronofsky. Uh, if you are, check us out on our Facebook group, Fans of Good, Bad, Nerdy Movie Podcast, and also on Twitter, Good, Bad, Nerdy Movie Pod. Uh, my name's Sam. I hope you had a good time, and you know, see you all next time.